be really easy to stand up here and just say, hey, we're not doing bulletins anymore. We're going to do this little handout. Hey, we're not going to do, you know, or we're going to do check-in. Just deal with it. Get over it. It would be really easy to stand up here and to say that. But I wanted to take a little bit of time on some of those changes to give you an idea as to why those things are going on. And this really, as I was sitting actually over there and I was thinking about the transition between announcements to message time, because it's always a really weird transition, it actually is perfect for what we're getting ready to talk about this morning. Because in our world, it is really easy to just kind of give an answer to something and have no explanation whatsoever behind that answer. To kind of, we love our catchphrases, we love our memes, we love our cliches in our world. You guys, you probably know some. I, you know, going in sports when I was growing up, it was, the big one was no pain, no pain, no gain. And if you're in the sport, you're like, that is the Dumbest phrase I have ever heard in my entire life. Like, coach, just shut up. I don't want to hear it. Now, you didn't say that because you wanted to play. But it was going through your mind. You're like, seriously, no pain? I think I could probably gain something without this level of pain that I'm going through right now. But I remember in cross country, we'd go out there and it'd be 11 mile day and the coach would tell us like, no pain, no gain. I'm like, forget you. Like, this is dumb. And I'd start walking and it turns out Um, I didn't gain a whole lot during my time in cross country, and I really did not get a whole lot faster during all. So there was a little bit of truth behind this no pain, no gain. But we also know that there are areas in our lives where we can gain without the massive amounts of pain that we sometimes put ourselves through. So just a simple mantra of no pain, no gain doesn't always quite cover it. A couple of others are, and maybe you've heard these, love is what? Love is blind, but we have all sat there and we have all looked at that couple walking down the, you know, walking down the road and we sit there and we're like, how in the world did that guy get that girl? And the response is, well, you know, love is blind. What in the world is that supposed to mean? Like, does she like literally never look at him and go, oh my goodness, what am I doing right now? No, obviously she saw him, and so you can you start to punch some holes, and kids love to punch holes in these things. We've heard the, uh, you know, you, you can never judge a book by its, you can never judge a book by its cover, but I think this meme, do we have the meme up there, Owen, that we can throw up there? If you, you know, if what you see is what you get, then why can't you judge a book by its cover? So you put these two memes or these two catchphrases right next to each other and you start to realize, wait, wait, these can't both be equally true in all situations. Like something here is not adding up. What's the next one we have, Owen? I'm actually blanking on the order that we put these up here and I wanna make this as easy on you as I can this morning. Actions speak louder than words. We've all heard it. Most of us have said it at some point. If we have kids, you better believe that we've told our kids this, that your actions speak louder than words. But in the social media world in which we live, I would argue that there are actually many times where words speak louder than actions because the truth is, I have no idea what your actions are. And all I hear are your words. And that's either going to make me like what you're saying or sometimes even like you 
or dislike what you're saying. And in some situations, we get to the point where we start to dislike the person based solely on their words because we don't have the actions to line them up. So we have this, you know, actions speak louder than words. It's true, but, you know, kind of not true sometimes too. What's our next one, Owen? What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Is that really true all the time? Because I could argue with you that, now, you could argue back to me that Mountain Dew, over the course of a long period of time, actually does kill me. But it's not killing me right away. It's also not making me stronger. So it'd be pretty easy to look at this and be like, but is, is that really true? Like, explain that one to me. Like, walk me through this just a little bit. And so we have these catchphrases, we have these cliches, we have these, these memes, we have these bumper stickers that we begin to put all of our truth into. And really, that's what we do a lot of times. Like, if I can't narrow it down to a bumper sticker, then how true can it really be? If I can't narrow it down to a meme on social media, then how true can it really be? I've driven behind vehicles that I have had on there, and we've got a picture of this one too, too blessed to be depressed. And you look at that, and somebody could read that and be like, wow, that's, that's so powerful. Like, I am so blessed. Of course, I, I shouldn't be depressed. But the truth is, is that following Christ and having Christ's blessings is not a guarantee to not have depression. I don't believe for a second that my grandfather, who I don't know if it was actual anxiety or if it was depression, but who took medication for one of those two things, I don't believe that it was because he had a lack of faith. I don't believe that it was because he didn't follow Jesus. I believe it's because he needed a little bit of extra help because he was struggling with some things. So I don't think that there's this point where we're like, we're so blessed that, man, there's no, there's no excuse for you to be depressed because it's more than just the things and it's more than just the, the things going on in your life. But we see that on there. What it really comes down to is, and we're gonna skip the next one. Actually, you can throw it up there just so people can read it. But what it really comes down to is the last bumper sticker that I've come across. You wanna throw the next one up there, Owen? You know, we, we've got that question. How many of you have ever followed behind a vehicle, of, you know, and you've seen something like this? Or, or the ones that, that I really love are the honk if you love Jesus, and then you honk at the person and they flip you off <laughs> because they forgot that that's why you... I've, I've driven a vehicle that had that bumper sticker. I did not flip the person off when they honked at me, but I was sitting there, like, this person pulls up next to me and they start honking it, and I'm looking over like, what? Your bumper sticker. Oh, yeah, that thing. Like, yeah, so it's, but here's the one that I want us to remember this morning. How many people have ever had their mind changed by the truth on a bumper sticker? How many people have ever had their mind changed by this really good and well thought out meme put on social media? Like, it might stop and get you to think, but how many people have actually changed their mind based on those truths that are put out there? You know, um, a guy named Jeff Myers, who was or is the president of Summit Ministries, he actually, he kind of coined a different term, or at least he used a different term called simplicism. You know, we have simplicity, 
which simplicity is this, you know, kind of keeping things in your life not overly complicated, um, trying to get out all the extra noise in your life, trying to, you know, maybe declutter some things. But then there's this idea of simplicism, which simplicism is a, I'm not going to believe something unless it can be boiled down to this teeny tiny one phrase piece of truth. Because I don't want to have to think. And if I have to think too much about it, it is not worth my time to try and think about this thing. Now, we talked about some of these things that are kind of prevalent in culture, but I would argue that some of these things are very prevalent in the church. You know, there, there are things like it used to be said, and this was just the answer for people in the church. It used to be said, drinking is a sin. And then over the course of the past couple of decades or so, it became a, no, 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 getting drunk is a sin. And that was the extent of the answer that's put out to anybody. When really there's a lot more going on under that. There are more layers underneath all of this. Or you have the idea, you know, we love to put this on, on graduates, um, cards that we buy them or little gifts that we give them as a church. And it's not, be, you know, I'm not bringing this up because it's false, but we love to put on there Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you. And we just kind of, we leave it at that. You know, God's gonna prosper you. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean I'm gonna be rich? Does that mean that my life is gonna be great, my life is gonna be easy, or the, you know, God helps those who help themselves? I'm really not totally sure which scripture that one comes out of, but I've heard it many times in church. God helps those who help themselves. Cleanliness is next to godliness. What does that mean? Does that mean that if I'm a dirty person and I've been working out in the fields all day that, that I'm not godly that day? Like, what, what does that even mean? Or Jesus was a social justice warrior. What does that mean? I mean, I think social justice, like that term itself has changed a little bit over the years as to what that term itself even means. But it's real easy in church just to give that as an answer or you've just gotta have, anyone? Or she's in a better, yeah. She's in a better place now. Well, thanks, that was helpful. You just gotta have faith. Okay, in what? Jeff Meyer, uh, in his book, Unanswered, Unquestioned Answered, I get that backwards every time. In his book, Unquestioned Answers, he, he makes this statement in the book that many people have unanswered questions. You know, they walk around and they're just, they're wondering, how can the God of the Old Testament be the same loving God. How can you follow that God? You know, which goes into another one of those phrases that we love to use of God is good all the time and all the time God is good. It's true and we believe it, but me just standing there and telling somebody that and then they go home and they pick up the book of Exodus, if I'm not there to kind of help them and walk them through that a little bit or if they're not willing to kind of work on that a little bit, I'm just gonna be real with you. The God of Exodus does not look like a good God if all I do is read Exodus and I don't take in the entirety of scripture and read the entire story. I can honestly, I can see why 
it is, it's not a big leap for me to see why people doubt the goodness of God and even to doubt the existence of God. You know, if you read through just one little piece of scripture or you have just one conversation with one person who just gives you a nice little neat tied up in a bow Christian cliche, I can see why people walk away and like, nope, because that God killed babies. How can he be good? How can that be a God that you want to follow? See, a lot of people have unanswered questions, but Jeff Myers makes the, the argument that there are maybe even more people who just live with unquestioned answers. It's just this little answer that we give out, but the truth is we've never stopped to really think it through. And we've never stopped to be like, how can I explain this answer? Have I ever stopped to think through this answer? You know, just last week, I put up a meme that I found on my uncle's Facebook page where it was Charlie Brown saying, the world has just gone crazy. And Snoopy answers with the answer of, well, it's a good thing that God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, which is true. But that answer isn't really gonna help me all that much if I don't know what's behind that. That's just gonna give me even more questions because now I'm gonna go home and I'm gonna pick this up and I'm gonna be like, it sure seems like that's a different God once I turn from Malachi into Matthew. It sure seems like that's, that's a little bit different. And really, for a lot of the youth that I've worked with over the years, they're, they're struggling with that same thing. Because when they go to, to high school or middle school or college after that, you know, they're, they're hearing a very different story about who God is. And they have all of these questions, and the answer that they're getting is not answering their questions. Instead, the answer that they're getting is really just raising more questions. I believe, so my brother, uh, who's also a lead pastor at my home church, he's been talking a lot lately, stealing one of Andy Stanley's phrases that, um, that you know, he believes that the church, the local church, and actually it might have started with Bill Hybels before Andy Stanley started using it, that the local church is the hope of the world. And I believe that. We're, we're not going to talk a lot about this, you know, this morning we're not going to talk a lot about what that phrase means, but I believe Again, you know, I'm just going to throw that little cliche out at you, and then we're going to keep on going, and we're not really going to talk about it. We will talk about it eventually, just not this morning as we stop. But I believe that the church is the hope of the world. But if we're the hope of the world, we have to be able to interact with the world. You know, we have to be able to set an example for them, but we also have to be able to answer the questions that they have and to answer the questions that they have to the answers that we give them to the questions that they have. See, it's not a one sentence, we're done with it. There's, there's a lot of problems with unquestioned answers. There's a lot of different little holes that get put into it. And one of them, one of the problems with this unquestioned answer is that it doesn't give you any solid ground to stand on. Some of them do, some of them are more solid than others, but it doesn't give you the solid ground you need to stand on because if all you do is you take this, well, this is the answer, but you don't have anything underneath it, 
You don't have anything to give it any sturdiness. And as soon as somebody begins to challenge you with it, and as soon as somebody begins to kind of put holes in it, as soon as somebody begins to to run the water on the sand that goes underneath it, then it collapses from underneath you, not because it wasn't true necessarily, but because you didn't have anything to go with it. This is what I've, I've expressed to students over and over again over the years is that if your faith is based on your parents' faith or your faith is based on my faith as your pastor, then when you get to college or when you get out of the home and you're not with your parents all the time, you're not coming here every Wednesday night or every Sunday morning, eventually somebody is going to start rocking the foundation that you have. And when they rock the foundation that you have, you're not going to be able to stand up underneath it if all you do is listen to what I say on Wednesday night and what the senior pastor or the youth pastor, depending on you know, which church you're in and how it goes, you know, if, if what they say on Sunday morning or what your parents say, and if we're being honest with many households, what they say on the rare occasion that we say about any of this stuff in our homes which that's just a little bit of confession on my part that I talk more with my kids sometimes about school than I do about Jesus, which is not giving them that sturdy foundation for them to stand on. We did buy a couple of uh, books that a guy by the name of J. Warner Wallace put out. There's one called God's Crime Scene and there's one uh, called Uh, cold case Christianity, but he made editions of these for kids to where you actually walk through with your children through this little workbook that gives your children the tools that they need in order to figure out the truths of just all sorts of it. It's not even just faith truths or spiritual truths, but it walks them through how to investigate because J. Warner Wallace is a a cold, uh, cold case investigator in, uh, in California. So he uses those skills that he uses to investigate cold cases, you know, those cases that, that people just kind of gave up on a long time ago. That there was a murder, but we don't know who did it, and we're just, we're not gonna be able to figure it out. So the file's open, but we're not gonna be able to figure this thing out. Well, that's what he did, was he would go back the show that was on several years ago, like at least that part of it was true. People really do those things. And so he's teaching kids through this book to work with their parents to figure out how to actually investigate the truths that are in this book so that there's a firm foundation to stand on. It's not just a, I'm gonna give an answer, but I've got nothing to back it up with. So one of the issues that we have is that there's just no solid ground to stand on. Another issue that you have when you're walking through this is that it really, it's not, they're not all that helpful most of the time. I mean, we love to throw out these answers to the questions that people may or may not really be asking, but you know, I, I mentioned a few of them a little bit ago that you know, one of the non-helpful answers that we give people is when they're going through a, struggle, a hard time, we say, well, you've just gotta have faith. Well, that's great, and it's true, and it's awesome. I told you guys several weeks ago that I believe that the answer to what we're going through is Jesus. But if I go out into, you know, to El Corral this afternoon and someone's having a hard time and I go up and I say, you just need Jesus. And then I turn around and I walk away. That's, that's not going to help them all that much. Or if they're going, you know, the waiter's having a hard day and I say, hey, um, you know, you just, you just need to have some faith. 
And then, okay, I would like the quesadilla hogada, um, and I just go on with my life. Like, that answer is not going to help. It's the same as the, she's in a better place now. It's, it's, it may or may not be true, depending on the situation. But in my experience, at least, when I'm working with people or I'm talking to people who have lost a loved one or myself, like, it's, it's not terribly helpful to make that statement. I mean, it can be, depending on the person, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that any of them are just inherently worthless. I'm saying if that's all we give and that's all the farther we go, these are some issues that we have with them. They don't give you anything to stand on. When things really get tough, they're really not all that helpful half the time. They shut down good, healthy dialogue. Oh, and I think I just skipped out of order on you. They cut down good, healthy dialogue. Because one of them that we like to use is, well, you know, this is, this is just between me and Jesus. And as soon as somebody says that one, this is just between me and Jesus, that's basically their way of telling you, butt out. <laughs> Leave me alone. I'll handle this. And so they shut down what we need to have. We need to have good dialogue. I've seen in the midst of the, the, uh, the uprising in our nation right now, I've seen a lot of unhealthy dialogue. I've seen a lot of unhealthy lack of dialogue. But when I've seen it and I've seen the healthy dialogue, instead of somebody just saying, well, you know what? This is my experience and that's just going to be, it's going to be what it's going to be. So we're just going to have to move on. And, you know, basically we're going to have to agree to disagree and then let's just keep on going. But people actually sit down and they legitimately talk through things. Things have actually happened in very good ways Maybe even if it's only in that relationship. But sometimes it goes bigger than that. But if we give this answer in the spiritual realm, in the, in the realm of our faith, and all we say is that, you know, this is, it's between me and Jesus, then we're shutting down that good dialogue. We also, we like to use the phrase of, it's not my place to judge. Which, the problem with that, and the problem with that unanswered question or unquestioned answer, sorry. The problem with that is that it takes away the ability to have the tough conversations. Because the truth is, we are called to hold each other accountable. And that's different than judging one another. If, if I didn't have anyone in my life holding me accountable, then yeah, I could just, I could go out and do whatever I want. And everyone around me would just be saying, hey, it's not my place to judge. Oh, Justin's over there, I don't know, fill in the blank, whatever you want to put in there. Justin's over there doing that. Justin hasn't come into the office for the past four weeks, but we're still paying him a full salary, and he's still, you know, he's obviously getting up on Sunday morning and not putting in any effort ahead of time. Like it, I would expect some people to kind of hold my feet to the fire on that one, not just say, but it's not my place to judge. And so these unquestioned answers actually many times cause more problems than they do help because we don't follow them up with anything. We just love to give the answer. We love to keep it simple. Like this is something, I could put this on a bumper sticker or I could put this on a meme. So obviously it's got all the truth in the world wrapped up into one thing. 
But so many of them actually have a counter to them. And they're not actually completely true all by themselves. Or if they are, they're confusing all by themselves. And so people walk around and they have these questions in the back of their mind. Like, what? wait a second, no, that, that, I, don't, I don't get that answer that they gave me. And if we are going to be the hope of the world, this is where it gets down to us. If we are going to be the hope of the world, we need to be ready to explain the answers that we're giving. Not in the sense that we're going to always be able to explain it in a way that everybody gets it and everybody that we ever talk to walks away and go, oh, Jesus is the answer. Jesus is who I need. That person explained it so well. That person gave such a good answer that now I get it. Now I understand that truth that they were putting out there. No, Jesus actually warns us that most people are actually going to turn and they're going to give us their backs and they're going to walk away. And we have to be ready to expect that. But in 1 Peter, actually, I'm going to give you all the different books that we're about to go to, all the different letters that we're about to go to, so that if you have your Bible with you, you can start turning to those. We're going to look at 1 Peter. I'll give you the verse and the chapter once we get to it, because I've worked with students long enough to know that I would tell you 1 Peter 3.15, and then in about 10 seconds, I'd have you know half the people going, what verse were we looking at again? So we're going to look at 1 Peter, we're going to look at 1 Thessalonians, and we're going to look at Proverbs. And I'll give you the locations here in just a second. But in 1 Peter 3.15, this actually kind of became a little bit of a mantra for our youth group where, in, in Casper where we came from. Because the, the admin that I worked with is actually in the process of getting her master's in apologetics. So we had a whole lot of conversations on being able to find and explain those answers that we're so readily giving out to people or just, you know, being able to answer the question, period. Uh, A lot of conversations on that. She's actually the one who pointed me to the book that I referenced by Jeff Meyer and the ones by J. Warner Wallace. But in 1 Peter 3.15, we read that if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. If someone comes up to you and they says, hey, tell me about Jesus. Like they know that much, that that's why you are the way you are. Tell me about Jesus. How far can you go with that? Well, Jesus, I think most of us could say, well, Jesus, he died on the cross and that saved me from my sins and you know, he gave me grace and he rose three days later and I believe that, and that's why I have hope. And that's not false. But there's a lot more to it than that. Because, again, if if I'm sitting there, and that's the answer that I get, I'm like, oh, nut job. And I turn around, and I walk away. Because that, so some guy died, and he rose, and first off, people don't raise from the dead, but he died, and he rose, and that's why you're okay? Like, think, think through that answer. It's not false, but is it the whole answer? Can you explain the whole answer? We're told to always be ready to explain the reason for the hope that we have. We don't have this for the screens, but he does say, he continues on in verse 16, but do this in a gentle and respectful way. Because it's also really easy to be like, 
really? Like, you don't know this? Wow, you're an idiot. Here, let me tell you about this. And while we don't say those words, the tone that we use can sometimes communicate that. Or our tone can be like, well, you really need to listen because you are super messed up. So let me give you all the reasons for the hope that I have. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, I'm going to give you a little bit of time. Chapter 5 in 1 Thessalonians. We're going to read a little bit more of this one than I initially intended to because I want you to, to get the context around it. Really, that's our problem, I think, a lot of the time. You're, you're getting some of my opinion up here. Don't get me wrong. But I do believe that it's based on Scripture, and that's where it comes from. Because I think so many times we're giving the one-verse answer, and we're not getting the context that goes around the answer. And the context around the answer often answers all the other questions that are brought up. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning in verse 12, Paul writes this to the church in Thessalonica. Dear brothers and sisters, honor those who are your leaders in the Lord's work. They work hard among you and give, your, and give you spiritual guidance. Show them great respect and wholehearted love because of their work and live peacefully with each other. Brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy. Encourage those who are timid. Take tender care of those who are weak and be patient with everyone else. See that no one pays back evil for evil, but always try to do good to each other and to all people. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Do not stifle the Holy Spirit. Do not scoff at prophecies, but what? Test everything that is said. Test everything that is said. Test every answer that you get. Everything that I say up here on a Sunday morning, my invitation to you is to test it. To not walk out and say, wow, so glad he told me that. Now I know how to live. Test it. Hopefully, everything that I tell you in here, everything that I say from up here and any speaker who comes in here, hopefully everything they say, you go home and you test it and you're like, they passed with flying colors. They told me the truth. That's my hope. But don't just take it because you hear it from up here. Test it. I would encourage you, and this is why I read a little bit more of that. One, it gives you the context. Use this little passage right here and just read through it often. You know, read through it once a week. Read through it once a day because Paul gives us some great instruction on there. But in our social media news-driven world, it is really easy to turn on the news or to pull up social media and to see somebody say something and to go, oh man, I can't believe that happened. Or, oh man, I can't believe Trump or Biden said that this time. And, you know, we just run with it and then you have all the fact checkers out there. And that's basically what the fact checkers are doing is they are testing Everything that is said. Now, in the world in which we live, many times we need to fact check the fact checkers. Like, I get all of that. That's why it's so important to do the things that he says in here. That's why it's so important to test it all. That's why we go through books like we're going through very, very slowly, but that we're going through with our daughters where we are teaching our daughters how to investigate. We're teaching them how to test things. Not so they can be cynical, not so they can be critical of everything, but so that when they believe something, they can have confidence and something to stand on, that they are actually believing the truth and not just believing what so-and-so said. 
Not just believing what the news media said, not just believing what their teachers said, not just believing what their parents said, not just believing what the pastor said, which yes, I get it for them, that's the same person, but not just believing it because somebody said it, but because they have put it to the test. And our core verse that I actually came across as we were doing our our yearly annual uh, Bible reading plan with some friends I came across this one several weeks ago when we were going through Proverbs, and I've read through the entire, I've, I've read through the Bible for the past, I don't know, 10 years or so, every year, reading through it. And I'll be honest with you, sometimes I get really far behind, and sometimes I cheat, and I just, you know, listen to it instead of actually sit down and read it, because when you're nine days behind, you have to catch up somehow. But I ran across this verse this time that I, it didn't jump out at me in past years the way that it did this year. It's in Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 17. And you're gonna hear me reference this one. You're gonna hear me reference Thessalonians. You're gonna hear me reference 1 Peter several times over the course of the next several weeks. But in 18 verse 17 of Proverbs, it says the first to speak in court sounds right. How many of you have ever heard somebody say something and you're like, oh yeah, that that sounds right, like that sounds, that, that's logical, that makes sense. I mean, in the political climate in which we live, it's really easy to just believe that Trump or Biden, yeah, that sounds like something they would have said, so yep, I'm gonna go with it, or whatever politician it is, or you know, yeah, that sounds like something the school district would do, so I'm just gonna go with it because this person said this is how it happened. You know, it's, as, uh, as youth pastors over the years, uh, I have had, Many parents come to me and talk about how bad their child's teacher is, whether that's their, their teacher that we have on Wednesday nights or their teacher that they have in school. And every single time, I try and remind them, have you talked to the teacher? I ask them that question because what I've understood as a youth pastor over the years is that to a child, almost every teacher is a bad teacher. And that really, many times, the best teachers are the ones that the child considers the worst teacher because they're teaching them something and they're holding them to something. But you know, it is really easy to hear our kid come home and our kid is bummed out, our kid is discouraged because my teacher is so mean. They, this, this afternoon, like they made us sit down and do our homework before we came home. This afternoon, I lost my recess because my teacher's so bad. But what you find out when you talk to the teacher is that they lost their recess because they'd been chewing gum all morning. And right before lunch, they decided to take that big blob of gum and just put it in Susie's hair and then go... And scrunch it all in there. I remember, so when I was in junior high, I had a teacher that I thought was the worst. I thought she was the meanest teacher in the world, and she kept me in from, I guess it wouldn't have been recess. We didn't have recess in middle school, but whatever fun thing it was that I wanted to do, actually, no, yeah, now I'm remembering, I got detention. So I got detention because I had tripped somebody, and I argued, and I fought. I didn't trip them. She was, you know, she was doing it because it was a girl, which is never a good idea for a boy to trip a girl. But uh, I, I tripped this girl, and I blamed it all on the girl. And you know what? All these years later, you know what I realized as I've thought back through that several times is, no, I, I did that on purpose. 
Like, I wasn't even admitting it to myself at the time, but, oh, I totally did that on purpose. I can't remember if it's because I thought she was cute or annoying, and maybe it was both. But I definitely tripped her, and I definitely deserved that detention. But that teacher was the worst teacher ever in my book. She actually, as I got into high school, she was my boss's wife, so I had that fun history going on with me, but I found out she's actually a really, really cool lady. Like, I I actually enjoy talking to her, but she pushed me, and because of that, I thought she was the worst. See, as parents, it's really easy to just believe our kids because they told us this is what happened. The first to speak in court sounds right until the cross-examination begins. Until we actually stop and we look at the answer and we put some work into it and discover what's really going on here. A lot of our unquestioned answers that we have in the church, they're, they're true. Like they're real things. A lot of them aren't. A lot of them are just things that we have had as a tradition. This is what my parents always said when I was growing up. So obviously it's got to be true because even though I thought my parents were the worst, they're obviously right at everything. However that works, I don't really know. Some things are tradition, and that's why we believe them, when in reality they're not accurate at all, or maybe with just a little bit of accuracy. Other things are completely true, but standing on their own is just a statement. Really what they do is they just raise more and more and more questions. And if we are going to be the hope of the world, I believe that it's our role to know how to answer some of those questions, not to have every answer. But we cannot just go for simplicity or simplicism. We cannot just say, well, if this will fit on a bumper sticker, I can remember that. But anything beyond that, it actually turns out That being a follower of Christ, being a disciple of Christ, has a little bit of effort that goes into it. Not to earn your salvation, but because one of the last instructions that he gave us was to go out into the world and to make disciples and to baptize those disciples. And if we don't have any answers to anything other than to say Jesus, then we're going to struggle to make disciples. If our only answer to the suffering and hurting person is, well, you've, you've just got to have some faith, that's not going to help out most people. I don't, I'm not saying you have to be the you know, theologian that goes and teaches all the classes, but I do believe that every follower of Christ is called to be a theologian. At some level or another, every follower of Christ is called to be a biblical scholar, Because if we're not, what ends up happening is that we tell people how good God is. And then they say, but what about all the babies he killed? And we go, well, I mean, that was the Old Testament. So you're saying God changed. Well, no, God didn't change. He just, um, you see what I'm getting at here? Unquestioned answers are dangerous. They're not inherently false They're just dangerous if that's all we have to go with them. I want us to be seen as the hope 
of the world. I want people to look at Monroe City First Church of God. I want them to, to look at Wheatland uh, Methodist Church. I want them to look at Vincennes Church of God. I want them to look at the local church and say, that is, the, that is a hopeful place. That's a place where I can go and I can find answers. But that means that we've got a little bit of responsibility on our part. If you're in here and you're, you're actually sitting here and you have a lot of those questions, I want you to say that, or I, I want you to say, I want to tell you that's okay. It's okay to have questions. My hope is that you'll take some time and try and find some answers. And that may mean finding somebody around you and saying, hey, can, can you help me find these answers? My, so Jay Warner Wallace, who Lynette Sohn, our admin, pointed me to and who she got me to read several of his books and then start listening to his podcast. Uh, an incredible, I think, an incredible apologist who he was the, the cold case investigator. His statement that has always stuck with me as a parent is that as a parent, you should be the best apologist that your children know. That doesn't mean that you have all the answers. An apologist does not have all the answers. Now, for those of you who might be sitting in here because we have a lot of Christianese that also goes on and we have these Christian words that people are like, I don't even know what that means. I remember speaking to a bunch of students and talking to them about grace and afterwards someone goes, who's grace? Like, I re and no joke, that was a real question because they were wondering, who is this grace that you keep talking about? She sounds delightful. But, you know, apologist is a word that can sound like it's a, well, we're making apologies for our faith, but an apologist is actually quite the opposite. An apologist is finding the answers for why we have this faith. So J. Warner Wallace is one of these apologists who used to be, a, and still is, I guess, a cold case investigator. But he tells parents, you should be the best apologist your children know, not so that you have all the answers, but so that you're willing to put in the effort to help your children find the answers. And that's really all we're getting at here. We're gonna look at some of the, really I think some of the more prevalent ones in today's culture, and some of those that have just hung on for a long time. Like, I look at the ones that are, it's not my place to judge. I want us to look at that and really discover what does it mean when we're told not to judge? Is there a time when we actually are supposed to judge? Let's look, let's look at that. Instead of just saying it's not my place to judge, let's look and say, well, where in Scripture does it say that? Like, I remember, this is a little bit of a tangent, but I remember growing up that you were, you know, we were, we were taught you wear your Sunday best to church. And then I got a little bit older, and I realized, well, not everybody's Sunday best looks like the next person's Sunday best, and how much of that actually has opinion that goes into it? You know, like, what you consider Sunday best might not be the same thing that I consider Sunday best. And, and then I started looking at it, and I just asked the question, where in Scripture does it say that? Where does it? If that's something you've heard and that's something you've taught, I would ask you, where does it say that? Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. I'm putting you to the test on that one. But beyond that, that was a little bit of a sidetrack. I've heard the phrase over and over again, and especially right now amongst, uh, amongst church people and people of faith, that Jesus was a social justice warrior. And I want us to stop and look. What does that mean? Is it true? Is it not true? Is it partially true? Like, let's look at these answers and try and answer some of the questions that they bring up. And that, I believe, helps us become the hope of the world. The worship team is going to come back up, and we're going to sing a song that 
I know you've heard me say this several times, and I apologize. Uh, you'll probably hear me say it a lot, but I don't know how familiar this song is to everybody. But the, the chorus of this song is that I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation. See, that's the firm foundation we're looking for. We're not looking to build our life upon a cliche. We're not looking to build our life upon a, a simple answer that we can just, well, if I, I, I've got it on my bumper sticker, so I'm good to go. I can live my life completely like that, but I don't really know what it means. Instead, we build our life upon the love that Jesus gave us. And even that brings up questions. I personally am a very inquisitive person. I love to find answers to things. At one point, I thought I was gonna be a lawyer because I love to just argue and find answers, and really, I love to argue more, but, but the answer part was fun, too. So I know that for some people, it comes a little bit easier, but my challenge to you this week is to look for the answers to the questions that your answers bring up. Look for the answers to the questions that your answers bring up, instead of just looking at them and going, I don't even know what that means. As you say something, ask yourself, if somebody asked me what I meant by that, would I know how to answer them? Would I know how to answer them in a way that would be helpful for them? And I'm gonna beg you, don't just go, oh, this is way too hard, I give up. Jesus actually was in a garden before he went to a cross at a point where I think it's pretty clear he wanted to give up and he wanted to find another solution. But he loved us so much that he went to the cross anyway. All I'm asking you to do is not give up when it gets difficult and instead push through and find the answers. Jesus did that for us. We do a lot of this for other people, not for us. I'm firm in my belief. I continue to look for answers so that I can help other people in their belief and help answer their questions. And who knows, there might be someday the question comes up that rocks my world and I'm gonna need somebody who's ready to help me answer that one.